With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. What's the point? Well, do you think you're different in any way from how you were when you were 21? Yes, but it's hard to know how I would have been without therapy, for instance. You you never really know. It's like you can't prove a negative, so I don't really know. But um, I'll, I'll tell you how I use it, and you can tell me if I'm... Using, and using is the wrong word, but this, I, I really like my therapist and she's helped me an enormous amount in very difficult situations. But I sort of feel like a therapist is a statistician. So you've seen a thousand situations similar to whatever situation I'm going through. And so you see, well, in half of those situations, people did this and it turned out horribly. And in the other half, they did this and it turned out great. So I tell you my situation, you put it in the right category that you've seen thousands of times, and then you tell me what people did in the 50% or 10% or 12% that where it turned out great, and then I follow your advice. (laughs) I think therapy um, is more like getting a really good second opinion about the choices that you're making and why you're stuck in the way that you're stuck. So a lot of times we have theories about our own lives. Um, You know, this is the reason that X didn't work out. This is the reason why I'm having trouble in relationships. This is the reason why I'm stuck in my career, whatever it is. This is the reason why I kept getting into the same situation over and over. Um, And you might have a theory about it, but whatever your theory is, if you keep ending up in the same situation, um, you're probably a little bit off. And a therapist with that second opinion can help you see your blind spots. And I think that that's what's really important. And so I would guess that if your therapy is uh, is doing anything for you, um, that you've learned something about your patterns. You've learned something about your behavior, particularly in terms of the way you relate to yourself and the way that you relate to other people. By the way, you, so I guess you, we have the same agent, I guess, or, uh, or I don't Gluck? know. Yeah. Oh yeah? I, yeah. She didn't tell me. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's great. She is, oh, we're recording because I'm going to say this about Suzanne Gluck. Suzanne Gluck is like, I didn't think agents could do anything that I couldn't do. Like I could call up all the publishers or I could just self-publish a book. And so, but Suzanne and I had been meeting um, for years. She kept saying, why don't you publish mainstream? Yeah, I had published mainstream from 2000 to 2012. And then I started self-publishing and I just figured, oh, I'm just, I could just do this on my own. What can you do for me that I can't do? And then finally I said to her, okay, let's try something. Here's my idea for a book. She did an unbelievable job. I've never seen that at all. Like I could see why she's the best agent in the business. What's your book? Uh, well, it's going to be called skip the line 
And it's about how you could, at any age, you could basically start a new career, reinvent yourself, try to learn a new skill that's, that's a competitive skill. And there are ways to essentially skip the line so you can as quickly as possible, whether it's learning or whether it's getting the right jobs or, or the right money or whatever, you can get to the top 1% of that field. And so I kind of tell my, a lot of my stories, but I also kind of describe how I think the 10,000 hour rule is wrong. And, and I define what I call the 10,000 experiment rule. And I go, it's just a lot of stories and a lot, and a lot of techniques sort of fall out of those stories. And, and it's all from either personal experience or people I've spoken to or whatever. So, wow. I, yeah. I'll definitely read it. And, and Suzanne doesn't know yet that the title skip the line. She pitched it as try this. And, but I just went with that or yesterday we changed it to skip the line. So. Oh, good. Yeah. But anyway, now about your book, which is somewhere on my bookshelf, but now the, uh, uh, I'll have to, I'll, uh, uh, I'll have to find it. <laughs> Say, say the title because I always forget the It's titles. called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. You were on my podcast twice before, before the book came out. And uh, it's your story, both as a therapist dealing with patients and then going to therapy and having the, that experience yourself. And the story is kind of running in parallel um, uh, where and interweaving with each other. The stories of, of you with all your patients, the stories of, of you and the relationship with your therapist. Just a, a well-written book. Could have been a, a riveting novel, but instead it's actually the true story of you and a great book. And not only a great book, and I, I'm not the first person to say it, or I'm not the only person to say it. Your book was like the third most sold audio book of 2019, right? Something like that. It's been on the New York Times list for since it came out in April. And now it's nine months later. Yeah. Yeah. Not an easy task. So... A lot of people sort of like blip into the New York Times bestseller list and then they're out, and but they call themselves a New York Times bestseller for the rest of their lives. You actually could be a New York Times bestseller for the rest of your life. So this book is having a long life. Yeah, it has a lot of word of mouth, which is which is the great thing. So many people are reading it and then they're telling their friends to read it or they're buying it for their friends. When did you first, at what point did you feel, okay, wow, I've spent like years and years in this book, had all this sort of, you know, tragedy that you kind of discussed in the book. And now suddenly, uh, when did you realize, oh, this might change my life? I don't know that it's changed my life. I, I, I think that it's more that it's doing what I wanted it to do, which is to change other people's lives. Um, Good I answer. Think, well, I, I, it's true though. I mean, I think this was the book that, yeah, I was supposed to be writing two other books that were, you know, I never wrote. And one was the book about the How to Land Your Kid in Therapy, which was this Atlantic piece. It was an Atlantic cover and everybody wanted me to write that. And then I was supposed to be writing a happiness book and the happiness book made me depressed and miserable. Um, what was your, what was your book on happiness? I feel like there's a, that's a category that is a pretty, like a lot of people have done that. They have. And a lot of people have done it really well. Um, you know, but I think that I was coming at it from the point of view of a therapist who goes in every day and I see real life and I see people and I see what makes them live the kind of life that they want to live. And it's not so much a conversation about happiness. I think happiness as a byproduct of living your life a certain way is what most people want. And I think happiness as the goal in and of itself is kind of a recipe for disaster. And so um, I think that the the happiness book couldn't really capture the richness and the nuance and all of the inspiring stories too that I see in the therapy room that again are more about how we grow and change and all the work we have to do, which isn't so much what a happiness book is about. Well, okay. That leads to the question like, so I've been going to therapy since I was like, 
21 and 52 now, so for 31 years. And what's the point? Well, do you think you're different in any way from how you were when you were 21? Well, it, it, yes, but it's hard to know how I would have been without therapy, for instance. You, you never really know. It's like you can't prove a negative. So I don't really know. But um, I'll, I'll tell you how I use it. And you can tell me if I'm using, and using is the wrong word, but this, I, I really like my therapist and she's helped me an enormous amount in very difficult situations. But I sort of feel like a therapist is a statistician. So you've seen a thousand situations similar to whatever situation I'm going through. And so you see, well, in half of those situations, people did this and it turned out horribly. And in the other half, they did this and it turned out great. So I tell you my situation, you put it in the right category that you've seen thousands of times. And then you tell me what people did in the category, in the, in the 50% or 10% or 12% that where it turned out great. And then I follow your advice. <laughs> <laughs> I think therapy um, is more like getting a really good second opinion about the choices that you're making and why you're stuck in the way that you're stuck. So a lot of times we have theories about our own lives. Um, you know, this is the reason that X didn't work out. This is the reason why I'm having trouble in relationships. This is the reason why I'm stuck in my career, whatever it is. This is the reason why I kept getting into the same situation over and over. Um, and you might have a theory about it, but whatever your theory is, if you keep ending up in the same situation, um, you're probably a little bit off. And a therapist with that second opinion can help you see your blind spots. And I think that that's what's really important. And so I would guess that if your therapy is uh, is doing anything for you, um, that you've learned something about your patterns. You've learned something about your behavior, particularly in terms of the way you relate to yourself and the way that you relate to other people. I think that's definitely true. I think, like I take notes during my therapy because sometimes she says something that, you know, because it's it's what you just said, it's, you know, looking at something in a different way that I'm used to. I get into this pattern of looking at, at a situation and then she says, well, maybe you should look at it, you should consider looking at it this way. Or one technique of hers is to say, well, what if this was happening to one of your children? What advice would you give? And then suddenly like the answer becomes clear because, well, obviously I would say this, and that turns out to be how I should be looking at it, which was completely different than how I was looking at it. So I think, yes, there's a lot of ways that, that she's helped. And, uh, you know, again, it's hard to say what I would have done otherwise, but I noticed this in your articles, in your articles, somebody will present a problem and they kind of want to know, let's say, should I break up with this person or not break up with this person? And you kind of twist it around. And I'm thinking of the article we just spoke about where the roommate was having an affair with, against her boyfriend with her roommate. And you sort of have a way of, and you do this in a lot of articles, you sort of have a way of saying, well, what in you chose this situation? Rather than saying, should I break up with her or not? You say, well, before you get to that, I'm, I'm paraphrasing you. Before you get to that, how about you ask yourself, why are you choosing someone unavailable? Why uh, is there me? Were there issues of self worth, or did you see this with your parents, or whatever? Like you kind of sort of teach them to look in a different way. Well, I think so often we're so curious about why somebody else is doing something and we don't look at why we're doing something. So in this case, this was a kid in college and his roommate 
had a boyfriend and the roommate was also sleeping with him and he wanted a relationship with her and he couldn't understand why she would keep having this, this affair with him and not break up with her boyfriend. And he was so concerned about what was going on with her. And I said, well, what's going on with you? Have you, have you given, if you, if we spent as much time trying to figure out what we're doing as opposed to what other people are doing, our time would be much better spent. I mean, it's interesting because I think we've all brought, I don't know if everybody's been in the exact same situation. We've probably all been in like similar or parallel sorts of situations. And that really, your answer really resonated with me. Like, like for me, I could say in a parallel situation, there was a self-worth issue as opposed to like always, always thinking like, well, why did she say this? Or why is she doing this? Or why this, this, this? You can't really ask why. Sometimes you have to sort of look, look in the mirror and say, uh, why about your, your own self? Like what's, what's going on here? Like, why do I think this is the only option good for me when there's plenty of other options in in the world? Now, right. You know, right. There were and, plenty of other situations I could be in rather than this situation. Right. And in his case, I think what was happening was what happens to a lot of people, which is that um, a lot of people seek out partners who are going to validate their worst insecurities if they haven't worked through them. And so for him, that's exactly what was happening. Um, so, you know, I think it was so much less about, you know, whether she was going to break up with her boyfriend and he was taking it so personally of like, why is the boyfriend better than me? And the bigger yeah. question is, why are you obsessed over this woman who's not available? And, and do you ever, do you ever get a sense? Like, does he ever write you back and say, okay, you're right. Here's what I did. Cause you even say in the, in the article, you say, you, you, you know what you should do mm -hmm. because it's sort of obvious he should end that situation. He should end that relationship. But it's obvious to the outside, but people in it never see that. They never, nobody ever listens to their friend's advice, for instance. Probably rarely they listen to their therapist's advice. Maybe not, but I don't know. But did he ever, did you ever get a sense of the conclusion of these things? Yeah, I think what's great about the, uh, the Dear Therapist column is that a lot of times people will write to me later and say, here's what I did. Um, it might not come right away because they need time to act on whatever the advice was. But, um, but I think that that's, the, unfortunately, the reader doesn't get that conclusion. And in this new podcast that I'm doing, we're going we're gonna to be able to do that. I'm doing a new podcast with, um, that Katie Kirk's producing for iHeart um, with another therapist, Guy Winch, who you might know from his, his great TED Talks. He has a great TED Talk about um, how to mend a broken heart um, and another one about um, emotional, like an emotional toolkit. Um, and uh, he's really funny. And and he's really smart. And so we are going to have somebody write in and we're going to talk about um, the letter kind of behind the scenes, the way therapists talk about it. And we'll go back to the person and give them our thoughts and then they will go do whatever they do. And then they're going to come back and tell us how it worked out. So what's the name of this podcast? It's called Dear Therapists. And Dear Therapists, plural. Yeah, so you can write to advice at iheartmedia.com and maybe your letter will be on our podcast. And what's the first episode about? Like, have you, you've done it? Are you just coming from it now, right? So, we did, we just taped it recently, yeah. And and uh, what what was it about? Um, it is actually about a, uh, a husband who is cheating and the wife doesn't, and they're going to couples therapy and the wife has a lot of questions about what's going on. Does she know that the, that the husband's cheating? Or is she, Yes, she does. That's why she wrote it, yeah. Okay, but they're still together? They are, but I can't, I, I don't want to give it away because we're going to talk about it on the podcast. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, um, well, in general, in your life, what's been going on? Are you, you're doing all these media things. Are you doing therapy? 
<laughs> you a therapist? I am a therapist. Yeah. Um, so I do have the the private practice um, in Los Angeles, and I write the column, and um, I am. We're doing the TV show of maybe you should talk to someone. Um, oh, what's which that going to really be like? What's, I didn't. I had no idea you're doing a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the TV show is. Um, with Eva Longoria's company. And do you know the show, The Americans? Yeah. Yeah, so the creators of The Americans are writing the pilot right oh, that's now. A, that's excellent. So yeah. is it going to be kind of um, sitcomish a little bit? No, or? no, no, no. You know, I think the tone of maybe you should talk to someone, there's a lot of humor in it, but nobody is ever made fun of or we're not making fun of anybody. Um, I think that the reason that it resonates so much is because it's so real. And we see the ridiculousness of the human condition in it. So that's where the humor comes from is we're all ridiculous in, you know, when we go through certain things. Well, just the situation, even with this letter with the roommate and the, and the affair and so on. Again, it's it's interesting because always outside the situation, it's like situations are in bubbles where people inside the bubble don't know that they're in this, you know, Truman Show type of world where there's a whole other world outside of it. And outside, that's why friends always give good advice, but the people in the bubble always ignore it. Well, Taya, I don't think friends give good advice. And and in in the um, book, I talk about the difference between idiot compassion and wise compassion. And idiot compassion is what our friends do. They go along with your version of the story. Oh, so usually like, my friends tell me I'm an idiot, but- Oh, do so they? So I'm the idiot, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. A lot of times, maybe it's a gender thing because a lot of women will say to their friends, like, yeah, you're right. You know, he's a jerk or- your boss should have promoted you or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and and that's not that helpful. What what people need is wise compassion, which might be what your friends are giving you, but I don't know about the compassion part because uh, they're kind of they're telling wise, you. I don't know but I don't know. <laughs> that's funny. Do, I think they're wise, but maybe not compassionate. They're more just saying like, you're an idiot. And I'm like, but I didn't tell you the problem yet. doesn't matter. You're just an idiot. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so I don't know if it's wise but or compassionate, but they definitely tell me the right, or in many cases, they tell me what they think. Yeah, yeah. But I think sometimes our friends um, are afraid of hurting our feelings. So they don't really say, you know, that's the 10th time this thing has happened to you. Maybe you're the common denominator in this situation. Yeah, no, I think that, and, and that's always an interesting thing to look at because, you know, whether this, whatever the situation, like, oh, a relationship didn't work out. Sometimes people come to me and they say, oh, this relationship didn't work out. He, she was a narcissist. But then every relationship's like the opposite side always seems to be a narcissist. And I'm like, how, what, what, I don't understand. Like, why is everybody in the, is everybody in the world a narcissist? Like, that's like the catchphrase on somebody's, you know, it could be on, on all of the other relationships. And then, and I almost want to say, I'm being the idiot compassion friend here. I almost want to say, maybe you should look at like why everybody's a narcissist. Maybe you're the narcissist, but I never say that. Right. That's idiot compassion. See, yeah. wise compassion would be, um, I wonder why everybody that you're dating is a narcissist, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and that's what's really interesting. I did a TED Talk um, a few months ago, um, which was about how we're unreliable narrators of our own lives. So the stories that we tell ourselves are often very skewed and we don't realize it. We think that our version of the story is completely accurate. And sometimes that really trips us up. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life 
so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use 
Hims. Hims, H I M S, Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely gotta use Hims from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at Hims. Dot com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hims.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hims.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So how do you, how do you start to, without seeing a therapist, how do you start to construct a narrative that's maybe a little more reliable or how, how do you kind of step out of a narrative and the stream of it just to see you know, what else could exist? I think that it's really important to try to write the story from another person's point of view. So if if it's about a conflict with another person, imagine what their version of the story is. Most people have good intentions. And I think that we don't realize that. We think that someone is trying to hurt us in some way. Um, and so I think you have to think about, well, why would a person do that? And what would their story look like? And, and I think I, what I do in the TED Talk is I, I take a woman's letter she wrote in about her husband, and then I imagine what the other version of this letter would be. And it's a completely different story. Um, and that happens so often. I even get in my advice column, sometimes I will get two people involved in the same situation writing in and unbeknownst to the other. And there are these two different stories. And I start to put it together and I think, oh my God, that's the other person in the story that's insane. You Isn't really, that insane? That has that's happened. That's got to be in the TV show, that, <laughs> that plot line. That has actually happened. Um, and it's so interesting because they really, they both really want the same thing, which is they want to connect. They want to be closer to each other and they don't know how. And they are so skewed in terms of how they perceive the other person's motivations. How can they, how can they be closer to each other? Not well, I think you have to, I think you have to, well, I think in that situation, they can actually talk to each other and say, I'm curious about what is going on for you and to hear that. Um, because I think that often you'll find something that you never expected. Whatever you thought was a person's reason for doing something is usually not the whole story, if any part of the story. And so, so again, in your own private practice, do you feel that all this experience, now you have this book out, getting a lot of attention, doing a TV show, doing a podcast. What do you bring back into the therapy sessions? Like, are you, A, are you able to focus on them? I'm assuming yes, but uh, do you find the experience has, has changed you and the quality of the therapy you're giving? I think everything I do is really complimentary. So I think that um, 
you know, going around and talking to people about emotional health, as I'm doing with a lot of the book tour, um, is really helpful. I see patterns in terms of the kinds of questions people ask, the kinds of concerns that they have, and that complements what I see in the therapy room. Um, I think the process of writing is really helpful. Even writing the book, it helped me to see things about those cases that I hadn't seen necessarily at the time in the same way. Um, so I think everything that I'm doing, writing the column helps me to help my patients, helping my patients helps me to help the people in the column. Uh, okay. I have a, I have a question. What is a narcissist? Cause I do hear people saying all the time their spouse or their significant other is a narcissist. I hear this all the time. So yeah. There's something wrong with me that I'm listening for all the narcissist questions, but I'm just curious. What is the definition of that? I feel people overuse that word. Yeah, they do. I think the way that people overuse, um, you know, certain words like, you know, you're so OCD, you know, when they don't actually have OCD. Um, or and bipolar, I feel, is overused. Yeah, do people say that? Yeah, a lot of people just say, oh, I'm bipolar. But like when you see people who are really no, bipolar. No, it's, it's, it's an actual phenomenon. Yeah, you know, it's, it's an actual diagnosis. Yeah. Crazy illness. Not, And I don't mean crazy that the person is crazy. I mean that that illness really damages people. Yeah, if they're not treated. I mean, people who are treated with and who have bipolar disorder do really well, but they have to get the right treatment. So yeah, that's very different from casually saying, oh, you're so bipolar. I think people don't understand what that is. Bipolar is not like, you know, used casually. Yeah, it's, I think people think like the Hollywood version is, oh, you're you're really happy sometimes and you're really sad other times. And it just goes back and forth all the time. And it's it doesn't seem to be that at all. But I am curious, what does... What does what is a narcissist? Are you asking for a friend? No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just curious because I hear it all the time. And then all, I also hear sociopath all the time. So what, what's a narcissist and what's a sociopath? Yes. <laughs> so he's a sociopath. Right, right. So that's what happened in my book when when the boyfriend breaks up with me. Um, my friends immediately say he was a sociopath. How could he never have told you he didn't want to live with a kid? And um, and by the way, I agreed. Um, which you know, of course, my therapist did not. So I'll start with sociopath. Then I guess um, a sociopath is somebody who has lacks empathy, cannot um, you know, goes around and um, doesn't care about hurting other people or the feelings of other people or what happens to other people. Is that biological or is it like a function of how they were raised or? You know, people don't really know. You know, there's all, all these questions, I think, with a lot of um, mental illness, which is, um, you know, how much is nurture and how much is nature? And I, I think that a lot of it is a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very rare for a person to be a sociopath. It's very rare in the population. Um, narcissism is also an actual diagnostic category, but remember there are gradations of narcissism, right? So, um, you know, somebody who's a little bit self-centered, that's not narcissism necessarily. Um, but a lot of times people say, oh, that person's such a narcissist. Um, they're so, you know, concerned with themselves. That's more kind of, um, self-centered. Um, a narcissist is somebody who thinks they're better than everybody else. John in the book, the character, you know, I say character because I had to rename him, but the person, uh, my patient, um, you know, probably would fit the diagnostic category for narcissism. Right, because I remember he came into your office, he's always trashing everybody else and... Everybody was an idiot. He, was so, he knew better than everybody else. He was smarter than everybody else. And he wasn't necessarily a mean guy. No, he wasn't mean, but he was, he would, he was insulting. 
um, just because he thought he was so much better than everybody else. And so narcissism is, um, you know, I'm so much better. Um, I'm so great. Everybody else is less than. And um, it comes from a place, ironically, of feeling less than. So it's a defense against feelings of of lack of self-worth, even though the presentation is um, that they have so much self-worth that they're irritating. So how do you, let's say you you figure out someone's a narcissist, how do you deal with that person in a, either a friendship or a relationship or a business context? Yeah, I would say try not to be in a relationship with a narcissist. So how do you deal with that person in a relationship? Probably choose somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, unless that person is willing to um, you know, do therapy and try to figure out what's going on. Narcissists don't show up in therapy that much because they don't think anything's wrong with them. So the way that John comes to me is he thinks, you know, he's, he's there to help, you know, he needs help sort of with the irritation of managing all the idiots. And so it's not for him. It's not like, Hey, I want to change and something's wrong with me. It's how do I manage all these people who are inferior to me? Uh, that's how a narcissist might end up. Or a narcissist often ends up in in therapy in the context of a couple. So they'll come in and you see whether it's him or her. Um, there is, you know, one person is uh, has narcissistic traits and the other partner is very fed up with it. And the other partner is who brought them into therapy. Like I can imagine, you ever see the TV show Entourage? I haven't. Oh, okay, because maybe the Ari character, but if you haven't seen it, but uh, I'm trying to think of any TV character that might be, you can easily identify as a narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a TV character. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Is there, is there any- A uh, TV character? Yeah. Um, what about like Don Draper and Mad Men? Although I don't think- he, See, he, I'm gonna, my, my ignorance is that right now, I, I haven't watched a lot of television in a okay. long time. All right, you're, you're off the hook on that question. Um, all right, I have another one too, which is, and I'm sorry I'm asking like glossary questions, but this is the only time I, I get to ask this. Uh, passive aggressive, what, what's that? Okay, so passive aggressive is another one I see thrown around all the time. Passive aggressive is when you, um, you're being, you're really angry with somebody, but you're not going to tell them that you're angry and you're going to do something that is um, hostile toward them, but in a very subtle way. So something passive aggressive is, you know, like a comment under your breath um, or you do something to, um, you know, like passive aggressive is you're really irritated that your partner wants you to do something that you don't want to do. So you're going to come 30 minutes late and then you're going to be like, oh, there was so much traffic. That's very passive aggressive. It, you know, you were angry that you had to go to this thing and that's the conversation you should have talked, you should have had, not I'm I'm angry, but I'm not going to tell my partner and I'm just going to show up late. So, hey, A, what do you do if you're passive aggressive? And B, how do you deal with someone who's passive aggressive? So I think I'm probably a little passive aggressive. I'm always afraid to confront people with and say what I really think if I don't like something. And I think, um, let's call it one of my relatives is passive aggressive. So we always actually have a one of your relatives would that be a parent <laughs> no actually oh. <laughs> not, not a parent uh my parents don't talk to me um but uh, uh but when we're together it's actually all fine because we're both passive aggressive so we don't say anything bad about anything. but you're but are you being ag- so it sounds like you're both passive but i don't know that you're doing anything aggressive so um, what do you mean you're both what's an example probably, of you I'm being probably, passive aggressive okay i'm probably passive and this person's probably passive aggressive and so what does this person do that's passive aggressive this person might might lie as opposed to 
telling me, oh, I really don't want to go to that or I really, you know, I really am doing this. You know, I don't know. She might, she might lie in certain situations where it really wouldn't have been a big deal if she just told the truth. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and then I'm passive so I don't confront her on it. Yeah, but it doesn't sound like you're passive aggressive. I'm probably not, no. But how do I deal with someone who's who's passive aggressive if I'm passive? So you can you can say to them, "Hey, it seems like you um you know, it it seems like you really don't want to do this thing or it seems like you really don't want to go to this thing and see what they say." Sometimes just getting it out there gives them permission to say it. Yeah, I've tried that and they'd be like, "No, no, I really have this thing." And and I know And you don't they believe don't. it. Yeah, I know they don't. So, I uh, uh but it's hard for me to like just say you're lying. That doesn't sound so passive aggressive though. That sounds like the person's trying to be trying to let you down nicely. Yeah. Um, passive aggressive is more like, "Hey, will you walk my dog this week?" Sure, I will. And then like you, you then all of a sudden, you know, the dog gets off the leash when you're walking because you were consciously or not probably, you know, outside of your awareness, you were so angry that like you didn't fasten the leash, and now the dog has disappeared. That's passive aggressive. It's like something, there's some hostile act that happens. Doesn't sound like your relative is doing, is committing some kind of hostile act. It sounds yeah, you're like- probably right. Yeah. So what do you do again with, oh, so your, your suggestion is though, if someone is passive aggressive, just kind of like try to air out as much truth as possible and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and in a nice way, not like, I can't believe you don't want to come to this thing. You know, I can't believe you don't want to walk my dog. It's, it's. Hey, you you seem a little irritated by it. Yeah, I guess I guess the guilt trip doesn't work. Is what you're saying? Like guilting no, someone? Guilt? No, no, the guilt trip does not. Because like like so so guilting does seem to happen a lot between parents and children. Like oh, I can't believe you don't want to come visit me, or you know, blah blah blah. Uh, 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 with with children, and maybe this is related to the passive aggressive question. What's what's the importance of boundaries with children? Yeah, the I can't believe you don't want to come visit me. By the way, it's not passive aggressive. That's just manipulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So parents could be manipulative. We all can, yeah. sure. Yeah. So, um, but what? Wait, what was your so, question? So the question is, what are the right boundaries to put on kids? As I know it's a very broad question, but like, you know, I tend to always want my kids to be happy, which is not always, for instance, the correct goal. And so it's hard for me to put boundaries uh, around around kids. So are they monsters? No, they're actually very, very good, but they just, I don't know, they're, they're very nice, polite kids, but maybe I'm worried when they actually are in a difficult situation as adults, they might not be able to know how to handle it. And I've seen them not be able to handle some situations as well as I think they should be able to. How old are they? Uh, 17 and 20. So what are some situations that they haven't handled well? If if someone says no to them about, they they, they feel overly rejected or unfairly rejected. Right, because they're not used to hearing that. Yeah. And also, they, it sounds like maybe they don't have a lot of practice um, dealing with their disappointment. Yeah. And and that's something. That's, that's very a, true. That's a reason why it's important for parents to um, know that it's okay if your kids don't like you in a moment or they don't like a decision that you've mm-hmm. made and you see their disappointment. It's really hard for us as parents to look at our kids and say, oh, I just caused you to feel pain, Right. But at the same time, they need to know that 
it will pass. You know, feelings are like the weather. They kind of like weather systems. They blow in, they blow out. And your kids need to learn that just because I'm sad now or just because I'm disappointed now doesn't mean I'm going to feel that way in an hour or a day. I, I think the key thing there is, feel, for me, feeling comfortable in them not liking me for a short amount of time. Because it's hard. I'm a divorced parent, so I don't always see them. So I feel like if they don't like me for a day, that might turn into two months because I don't, they could choose not to see me. They could just stay elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, but I think, I think that's really important though. Well, that's really common with with divorced parents. I think divorced parents, because I think there's this extra feeling of pressure that, you know, you have a limited time um, with your kids. And so a lot of people feel like, well, I want them to enjoy the time that they have with me, but you also have to be a parent during that time. Well, Lori, once again, I've completely used you as my own personal therapist right on the podcast. And I'm so happy that uh, maybe you should talk to somebody. I'm thinking the title, right? I'm, I maybe always, you should talk to someone. Maybe you should talk to someone. I'm so happy. I think you have. So well. I think you have a, a, a block. No, I, I, since I've turned, I'm 52 now. Since I turned 50, I literally cannot remember anything. And on the podcast in particular, I will have just read the book and I'll forget the name of the person sitting across from me and the title of the book. And but I'll remember the content of the book, so I'll be able to do the. You whole, did, you so, did, you knew it very well. Yeah, I'll, I'll be able to do, do the entire podcast as long as I don't have to say the person's name or the title of the book. And and it's really hard for me to remember the subtitle as well. But uh, uh, anyway, maybe you should talk to someone, uh, author of that, and it's a huge bestseller. It's the third time you're on the podcast. I'm really, I've always have such a fun time talking to you. You're also doing this podcast, dear therapist. You write Dear Therapist for The Atlantic. Those columns are always great. I always read all of those that come out. And now I just learned you're doing a TV show. When's that, when can we, when do you think that will come out? I don't know yet. We're about to get the script, so I don't know. Oh my gosh. That's, is it already been approved by a network? Like it's, it's happening? Uh, I think it is. I can't really say yet. That's so great. Uh, congratulations on that. And when that comes out, come on the podcast again and we'll, We'll talk about that. Will do. Thanks so much. It's always fun to talk to you. Are you going to write another book? I am. I just, in fact, I'm, I just, uh, I'm just selling my, my next book. With Suzanne, our, our mutual agent? With our mutual agent. Yes. Can you say what that's about? I can. Yes. It's a book about how we love. And, um, and maybe you should talk to someone. I brought um, individuals into the therapy room. And my practice is predominantly couples now, and it has been going in that direction for years. And um, I am going to write about how we love through the lens of the couples that I see in my practice. Oh my God, I can't wait to read that one. So you're gonna have to come back for that as well. Yeah, yeah, happy to. All future occurrences of Lori Gottlieb on the podcast. Thanks once again for, for coming on the show. And how should people find you other than reading your book or watching your podcast or watching your TV show? Or reading your next book? Um, they can watch my TED Talk, which I think is really useful for people. Um, so they can go to TED.com and look me up. Um, they can go to my website, LoriGottlieb.com, and they can follow me at LoriGottlieb1 on Twitter. And um, what's your address? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. I'm like, what? <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. 
With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.